Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Man, hey, was it tough getting up this morning? Did anybody feel like, dude, what is happening to me? I feel like I'm dying right now. It wasn't hard for me, but I definitely, when I woke my kids up, I was like, man, you guys don't look like you're alive. The, the time change messes me up, though, it does. How about you guys? Yeah, well, guess what? We get to grow through it, right? The pain and the struggle is real. Hey, if you're uh, a guest with us again, we want to welcome you. We want to welcome all of our online audience this morning, anybody listening in on a podcast later. We're going to be in John chapter 18. Turn with me there in your Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. John chapter 18. This is super, super exciting uh, because we are, keep your hands up if you need a Bible, we'll get you one. But this is super exciting because we are, you know, I was mapping it out yesterday, and we're going to be at the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. How cool is that? So that is super awesome, man. I mean, we've been on this journey. If you've been here for a better part of three years or so, we've been on this, this Follow Me series, which is the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We've been going through you know, the, the Gospels and the Synoptic Gospels and, and paralleling the different stories, just kind of walking through Jesus' life as it happened. And uh, how many of you has this been helpful for? I mean, for me, I know that sometimes I read a story in John and then I read the same story in Matthew and I'm like, is this the same story? Is this different? You know, per- particularly like Jesus cleaning the temple. How many times did he clean, clean the temple? Two? You guys aren't sure. I'm not sure if I'm sure now. Uh, <laughs> It's two, right? He did it twice. So it just helps you to go chronologically through the Bible to understand all the things that Jesus did. And what is interesting is really most of the gospel, uh, most of the gospels, over 50% of the gospel of John is written in the last week of Jesus' life. So most of the gospels are written in the last week, in Passion Week, where Jesus is going to the cross. And so uh, we've been on this journey and we find ourselves here today uh, going, th- going to this, um, we find ourselves where Jesus is actually preparing to go to the cross. And uh, he's getting ready to be crucified. This is the morning of his crucifixion as we get into the story this morning. But it's going to be Luke chapter 18, and I lied to you. We're also going to be in, in uh, John 18 and Luke 23. So grab both of those places in your Bible, uh, John 18 and Luke 23. And um, I want to just start out by setting the stage for the story this morning. And how many of you guys watch reality TV show? Don't be, don't be ashamed. You, you can raise your hand in church. I watch reality TV. Uh, but here's the thing about some of the reality TV is it's just garbage, right? And then some of it is like anything but reality. There, it's not reality at all. But, you know, I mean, how many of you guys um, watch uh, The Bachelor? Any Bachelor fans here? Anybody looking for love? They're just like, I want to watch this because that's, that's not how you find love. But uh, um, anyway, God has somebody for you. You don't have to go on a TV show to figure that out. But how about Live PD? Anybody watch that? Uh, reality TV? Man, that, that's, uh, um, I guess that's pretty real. Anybody keeping up with the Kardashians here? I hope you're not. But if you are, okay, it's okay. It's okay. There's grace in this place, right? But um, there are, you, you know, some of those shows are terrible, but yet you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some great shows on. I, I, I particularly like to watch the business ones, you know, like The Prophet, not the, not the prophet, like a biblical prophet, but the prophet as in making a prophet. It's about a guy that rescues businesses. It's pretty cool. I'm into that stuff, so I watch that. 
Um, that's, a, that's a great, great one. I love The Voice. Anybody Voice fans here? You love watching The Voice? I love The Voice. I love to watch people get their opportunity to share. And, man, there's some amazing people out there, isn't there? Uh, come on now. A- anybody know this phrase, a bus driver move that bus? I mean, who, what is that from? Extreme home wakeover. I know it's old, but, you know, I, I used to love that one. But there was one that isn't on currently that I think is very interesting. It was birthed in 2008. It was called The Secret Millionaire. The Secret Millionaire. Anybody watch that? Anybody heard of that before? A few of you have. It's about basically uh, these millionaires that essentially leave the luxury of their mansions and, and they leave the comfort of their bank accounts and they insert themselves into a poverty-stricken community. And they live in that community like one, of, one in the community, literally under the same kind of budget where to the point that they don't have food maybe sometimes during the week. And it's only for a week period. You might think big deal. It is, it is a big deal to them. I mean, they're leaving luxury to come for, for, you know, and the point of it is this, is that they would become like those in that community, that they would, um, they would come and they would become like them, and, you know, they would serve alongside them. They, they, they pick a particular person or a group of people or a community center or a drug rehab center, somebody that's trying to make a difference in the community. So they come, they insert themselves in that situation, they, they work alongside them. Nobody knows that they're a millionaire. And at the end of the week, what ends up happening is uh, this, there's the big reveal, like kind of like over, undercover boss or something, you know, where this millionaire says, hey, actually, I'm so-and-so, and, and um, I, I'm actually a millionaire. And he's, the, the person is guaranteed to give them at least $100,000. And so the, the idea is that I want to serve alongside you to become like you, that I might give you something to help you to move you forward in, in your effort to change the community. Now, how many of you would think it would be very strange if at the, at the revealing of this millionaire saying, hey, I'm a millionaire and this is what I want to do for you, if at the, at the revealing of that that, that, that the community would respond in a negative way, they would, they would say, oh, who, you're, you're this person, I don't want anything to do with you, and they would maybe even call for the blood of that person. I can't believe you say who you are. And yet you've, you've inserted yourself in my life in this way. Well, this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done. He is the epitome of the secret millionaire who has left the luxury of heaven to come down to earth to become like us. Now, that is amazing. And, and you would think that the world would be receptive of the Son of God, God the Son, that would come for us. And yet many, many people would reject him. They would say, I don't want anything to do with you. Stop inserting yourself in my life. That's where we find Jesus in the account of the gospel this morning, where we have the religious leaders. Jesus has come to save. He's come to set them free from the burden of this this religious system that they've created for themselves, and yet they reject him. Rather than receive him, they want him dead. They want to murder him. What we're going to find here in this moment is that Jesus... I can't even wait to get to the end of this, I'm telling you, because it is so amazing that Jesus Christ would say, it's okay, I'll step in your place anyway. And yet, while they were still sinners, Christ died. Even while they were rebelling against him, Jesus said, I will will take the price for you. I will pay the price. I will be crucified on your behalf, even though you're not receptive of me. 
Now, that is amazing. That is love, folks. If you don't feel loved this morning, my prayer is by the time we end our time together in the Word that you're going to be, feel very loved. You're going to be overwhelmed by the kind of love that Jesus Christ has for you. And so we're going to pick it up here in John chapter 18 and verse 28. Uh, just by way of background, Jesus is, has been, you know, denied by his disciples. He's been tried by the Jews. And now he's being delivered to the governor of Judea, who is Pilate. So stand with me. We're going to read John chapter 18, picking it up in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early, in the, it was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we ask you to open our hearts up, Lord, that you would speak very directly to us by your spirit this morning, God, that your word would just be that double-edged sword, Lord, that would bring conviction and healing at the same time. Lord, that you would draw those who don't know you into relationship with you this morning. Father, that you would use your word this morning to transform our lives. God, help us to see the hope that's found in your son. Help us to see the love that you poured out for us. We ask you to come right now, Lord. May you get all the glory. May you be lifted up in this place. May we all eyes be on you this morning, Lord. We just pray by your spirit that you would speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So here we have Jesus being delivered to the governor's headquarters. And what I want you to understand if you're, is that in order for you to get what you want, sometimes you have to go the extra mile. Anybody understand that? Sometimes you have to put a little bit more effort into it. And if you're not careful, you will actually go a little too far. And that's what we find in the scriptures here this morning. It says that they, they, they led Jesus to the governor's house. It was early morning. They did not want to enter the governor's household because they were afraid of defiling themselves. They wanted to make sure that they could eat the Passover. I mentioned it last week, but this is a joke. This is ridiculous. This is religious people that are so hypo hypocritical, they can't see their own sin, and yet they're going to stay, they're going to think that they're going to be clean before the Lord. They're calling for the blood of an innocent man. They're calling for the blood of the Son of God. And yet they're worried about being clean for the Passover meal. It is absolutely outrageous, and yet that's how powerful sin is in our lives. That if we can be blinded to it, that we might not be able to see the very things that we're struggling with, but we can sure point it out in somebody else's life. We can certainly laser right in and tell you exactly what your problem is. But I can't tell you what my issue is because I'm so blinded by my own hypocrisy. That's where these people are. We need to beware of this, Christian, that we don't become like them. There are so many Christians that are blinded by their own sin, who have forgotten what Christ has done for them. They can't relate to the world. They can't relate to people in the world because 
they have separated themselves to the point that they forgot they were sinners. They forgot that they had fallen short of the glory of God. Pray that you don't ever become like one of those people. I just read a testimony of somebody in our church this, this last week on Facebook that said that she was talking to a Jehovah Witness and the Jehovah Witness said, you know, they were talking about things and she stood her ground with her, but she was loving in, in her conversation and the woman said, hey, listen, she, by the end of the conversation, she said to her, whatever you're doing, you just keep doing because you have the love of God in you. Now, I, I've, never been, I've never had that said to me by a Jehovah Witness. Maybe you haven't either. But that is because of the love that was being demonstrated. She said she, she stood her ground. She said she proclaimed the name of Jesus and who he was. And yet, although they could not agree on that, the presentation of who Jesus was was done in such a way that the woman said, you just keep on pursuing. How amazing is that? That's a testimony of what it means to walk with Christ in the world, folks. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but he came to save it. And yet Christians are representing him, and they're condemning the world. He came to save it. Just remember that. You know, it's funny that, they, that these Jews think that by stepping in the household of a, of a Gentile that they'll be unclean, but that was the oral law. That wasn't God's law. Don't, don't misunderstand that. That was what's called the oral law. That was what is known today as the Mishnah. It was written in the Mishnah uh, that if you were to enter a Gentile's home, you'd be unclean. And the reason for that is because they believed that Gentiles were baby slayers. And so if you entered into that um, household, the, all Gentiles were that way. So you entered into their household, therefore you are unclean. And now you had to go through a ceremonial washing in order to be clean. They didn't want to go through that. That is not God's law. And in fact, we see that very clearly. God actually addresses this very issue with Peter. In Acts chapter 10, you might recall it, he has a dream. And in the dream, God says, don't you dare call unclean what I call clean. What I've created, don't you dare do that. I make the rules, not me, but God. He makes the rules. We don't make the rules. We just follow them. We follow him. And if you're in loving relationship with him, it won't be rules. What we find here is God telling Peter, hey, I want you to go to the home of a Gentile. Now, as a Jew, Peter struggled with that. And God told him, he gave him a dream, he told him to go, and he goes. And then Peter says, listen to the transformation that happens when he's confronted with the truth. And he receives the truth. Here's the interesting thing, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You see, Peter came to the realization that God wanted the Jews to be a light to the Gentiles, not to, to condemn them. He said, oh, if you turn your heart to God, you're acceptable. What I also find interesting is he says, it's not about a nation, is it? It's about a relationship. He's saying, I think you could apply this to the idea of that even if you're a Jew and you haven't turned your heart to God, then you are not acceptable to him. That's the reality. That is the truth. That's why he sent his son, that we could be reconciled to him, that we could be acceptable to him. Listen, there is no elite class of people. There is no elite class of people 
The Jews are not higher than anybody else. In fact, Paul says that, we, that Jesus came to save the Jew, the Gentile alike. Yes, they had a, he had a special plan for the nation of Israel, and he still does, by the way. He's not finished with them. He will complete his plan in the, in the seven-year tribulation period. But what I need you to understand is they're not, they're not any different than you. God loves you as much as he loves the nation of Israel. He loves you. That's why he sent his son. These guys got into what is known as legalism. And so, you know, they, they found themselves trying to separate themselves to the point that they became legalistic about it. And they started forming rules that God never asked them to form. And we can do that in our lives too, man. The bigger point here is that they're concerned about being unclean, that they wouldn't, that they wouldn't even step into Pilate's place. They made him come outside. It was early in the morning. They, it was at the Praetorium, probably the, the, the Fortress Antonia is where, where he was that time. Now, you understand, Pilate, as the governor of Judea, would come to Jerusalem every Passover because Jerusalem would swell, man. It would become like two-plus million people would come to Jerusalem. Uh, there was always, you know, it's a potential for Israel to rise up against Rome. And so he would be there with all a bunch of, um, you know, guards and soldiers and stuff ready for um, something to happen. Now, um, he was appointed uh, the governor in A.D. 26. Uh, he reigned there for, t for 10 years. And from day one, Pilate had incredible tension with the Jews. You need to understand this because, it's, because it will play a role in his decision and what he does with Jesus. What happened with Pilate the day one, he strolls into Jerusalem. Get this picture in your mind. Here comes this, I mean, this just incredible procession of guards and soldiers and Pilate. And he's coming to declare that he is now the governor of this, this great city in this particular um, you know, region, Judea. He decides to take the Temple Mount, to cross the Temple Mount. And his soldiers are carrying uh, these the staffs with an image on them. Anybody know what that image is? It's called the Imperial Eagle. It is the, it is the, the, um, the symbol of Rome. And so they take these, these symbols, these carbon images upon the Temple Mount, and they cross them, and the Jews just erupt in a riot. Why? Because they have just defiled the Temple Mount with a graven image. Now, if you understand the history of Israel, you understand that they have a problem with graven images and worshiping them. And so they're trying to, they're trying to keep themselves away from it. So here we have Pilate on his first day. He creates a riot of 10,000 people. He takes these 10,000 people, he circles them up in, a, in some sort of an arena, and he stands before them and he says, because of what you've done, I will behead you all. And there is this resilient shout from the crowd that says, go for it, because 10,000 more are waiting to come behind us. You, you, you kill us, you will create even a bigger problem. So Pilate backed down. Now, Tiberius heard about that, and he said, whoa, dude, what are you doing? Listen, if you don't get your act together, you're going to be in a cubicle in Rome, so you better shape it up. And, and what ends up happening is, is he goes on his way. Pilate wants to make, a, uh, make up for some, some amends for this, and he decides that he's going to bring fresh water into Jerusalem and into the, the, the dry regions of, of Judea, right? 
He builds these incredible aqueducts. If you've ever been to Israel, you see them. They are, they are incredible. They're ingenious. They are built off the ground, and, and he, he did an incredible job of designing these things. Here's the problem. He used the temple money to pay for it. Uh, that is an also a, an abomination to the Jews, using God's money to pay for this. And so, dude, this guy's got striked two on him. This guy is under incredible political pressure, and it's all because of the Jews. So you can understand him as he steps out into the, you know, outside of the praetorium there where he is going to address this crowd that he has a lot of pressure on him to make them happy. He has a lot of pressure on him to make them happy. Maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe you have tremendous pressure, uh, pressure in your life to make somebody else happy. And so you're going to have to compromise what you believe to make them happy. Don't do it. Don't do it. You can't, you'll, you'll, you can't become a people pleaser. You need to be, first and foremost, a God-fearer. We need to stand our ground even if it means we lose friends in the midst. I promise you that it will happen. I promise you that, in fact, you know, I don't have any friends that I had before I after I became a Christian, all my friends are gone. Oh, you're a Christian? I don't want anything to do with you. You're, you're weird. You're crazy. I don't want anything to do with you. That's what happens. Are you going to choose your friends? Or are you going to choose Jesus? Because sometimes you can't have both. But what you can do is be a witness to them and stand your ground and walk in the ways that he calls you to. These, Pilate is going to cower as he usually does, even though he knows that there is no fault with Jesus. It says in verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? They said to him, if this man were not doing evil, we would, have de- have deliver- would not have delivered him to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to to die. Now, the, the reason the Jews are bringing Jesus to Pilate is because they need the Romans to crucify him. They want Pilate to do the dirty deed for them, and that is uh, for a, a lot of different reasons. First and foremost, and we'll just put this out there, that the scripture said Jesus would be crucified. That's the primary reason, because Jesus himself said, I will be lifted up, and he was referring to his crucifixion. The Bible in Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Zechariah chapter 12, all talk about Jesus being crucified. It was prophesied that he would be crucified. Therefore, it must be done that way. And so that, that is one of the reasons. The other reason is that, well, well, actually, capital punishment for the Jew, just so you know, was not crucifixion but stoning. So that was a form of uh, punishment by the Romans. They brought that. So they needed the Romans involved in this situation in order that Jesus would be crucified. They also, as you read there, didn't have the legal right to kill anyone, to put anyone to death. Now, that doesn't stop them in just a few years from killing Stephen. He, he's the first martyr of the church. And by the hands of a very zealous Jew who, whose name is Saul, who will become the Apostle Paul because of, the, because of the, Stephen's willingness to die for his faith. And God arresting Saul's heart, saying, dude, what are you doing? Getting what you want sometimes requires you to go the extra mile. These guys are willing to lie 
steal, cheat, whatever they have to do to get what they want. We see here that, that the accusation is false. Jesus never claimed to be what they said he was. He never claimed to, that they would um, rise up against Rome, did he? In fact, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He said, pay your taxes, you know. He, he, he said, live according to the law of the land, unless it violates the word of God. And that call is the same for you and I. In Luke chapter 23, verse 2, it says this about this accusation. He says, we found that this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. They are being deceitful. They're lying about this because they want Jesus dead. Here's the thing that you need to understand about getting what you want. You know, there is a desire in your heart, and that desire is a two-edged sword, folks. It is a two-edged sword. It will either push you closer to God. God can use that desire to draw you closer to him, or the enemy can use that desire to pull you away from God so far that you can't even believe how far you've gone. That's where these guys are. Their desire has become so great for Jesus to die that they're willing to do anything. It doesn't matter anymore. They are willing to do whatever they have to do to get what they want because of desire. James explains it for us, folks, about this thing of desire in James 1.14. He said, but each of you is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. You don't really think Satan's going to tempt you in something you have no desire for, do you? Would be no temptation. He's tempting you in something that you have a desire for. So therefore, you have to guard your heart against what? Desires. Against those desires. If you have no desire, or if your desire is so much for the Lord rather than for the things of the flesh, then you will not be tempted. You'll be able to resist the devil and he'll flee. And yet the Bible tells us that we're lured and enticed by our own desires. Verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Desire is a powerful motivator within us, folks. It was desire that led Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. It was desire that led David to take another man's wife. It is desire that leads you away from the Lord. We need to understand this. How do we battle this? How do we, how do we get our desires in check? David tells us very clearly in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what that means is he won't give you everything you want. That's not the interpretation of that passage. What it means is that when you delight yourself in God, when you make God the first and foremost of your life, he puts desires in your heart that are good and healthy and that will lead you closer to him. He replaces those evil desires. He, he takes out the desires of the flesh and he inserts the desires of the spirit. And so if you're stuck somewhere in your life today in some area, you're not growing, you keep going through the same thing over and over again, you need to be praying specifically about a desire that you have for that and say, God, I want to surrender this to you now that you would replace that desire with something that is edifying in my life, something that would draw me closer to you. F.B. Meyer said this. He said, we cannot delight th thus without effort. 
You cannot delight without effort. It's going to take effort. Yeah, you're going to have to get up early and read your Bible so that you make sure that you get it in because if you don't, the rest of your day is gone. That takes some effort. Yeah, you're going to plan to have to get prayer in somewhere in your busy schedule. It takes effort, but it's worth it. He said we must withdraw our eager desires from the earthly things, fasten and fix them on him. If you want to draw closer to God, delight yourself in Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's that simple. It is that simple. You want to overcome evil. You want to, you want to get rid of that sin that so easily entangles you. You just start delighting in God, and you start loving what He's doing in your life, and He will give you more of those desires. But if you're not careful, you'll go the other way. And the, 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 the desires of the flesh will become so overwhelming that you will become, you'll get yourself in such a dark pit that you'll have no idea how to get out of it. You'll think God can never, never redeem me from this area. That is a lie too. God can redeem anyone from anything. But if you want to draw closer to the Lord, you just delight yourself in Him. The Jews are clearly, clearly pursuing evil here. And thus this is stemming from their desire to want Jesus out of the picture. If you want, getting what you want will require you to go the extra mile. Not only that, but number two, if you're taking notes, proper examination of facts will always lead you to the truth. Write that down if you're taking notes. Proper examination of the facts will always lead you to the truth. Look at verse 33 in John 18. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did, uh, did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, And my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not, of this, is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who, who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate now asking Jesus, are you a king? Plain and simple, are you a king? Jesus says, yes, I am a king, but I am not a king of of a kingdom in this world. I'm a king of a completely different world. Now, Pilate at this point is thinking this dude needs, needs, he needs some medication. He needs something, but he definitely does not need to be crucified. He's thinking, man, this guy is crazy. He, he's almost mocking him. So you are a king. Oh, great. Uh, not a kingdom of this world. Hello, la la land. You know, he, he is thinking he's nuts. And yet Jesus says something very personal to him. He said, I'm the king of truth. Oh, he hit home with Pilate. He hit right square in the, between the eyes of where Pilate is struggling. What is truth? He clearly doesn't, ha he doesn't understand truth. Is Rome truth? Is this, this Roman mysticism truth? What is truth? His wife is a believer in Jesus. She, no doubt, is speaking to him about these things, and he's saying, what is truth? I don't even understand truth. His wife's probably been speaking to him about truth. Anybody have a wife that speaks truth? My wife does it all the time. Sometimes I'm like, eh, zip it, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to hear the truth. 
Pilate was one of the dudes. He didn't want to hear the truth. And, and so, you know, he asked Jesus that question, what is truth? And Jesus says, hey, listen, everyone who hears my voice hears the truth. If you close your ears off to the word of God, if you close your ears off to the spirit of God, if you close your ears off to God's messenger that he sent to you to speak truth in your life, you are choosing to go into falsehood. You are willingly choosing to go away from the truth. You say, I don't want to hear the truth. Now, the Bible tells us that the truth will set us free. Why would you run away from the truth? Why wouldn't you run towards the truth? I want to be set free. I just want to know what's right. Amen? And yet, oftentimes, when we hear the truth, it's like, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. No, no, that's not what, that's not what I want to hear. God says, hey, I'm going to take you through something hard. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear that because I don't want to suffer. But the Bible says anybody who desires to be godly will suffer. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. So we start ripping pages out of the scriptures because we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with the reality of what God's word says because we really don't want to know what truth is. And yet Jesus will never stop speaking. He will continue to speak. That question, what is truth, is a question that is continuing to go on and on and on in the world. The Jehovah Witnesses claim they have it. The Mormons claim they have it. The Muslims claim they have it. Uh, you know, the, the, the Buddhists claim they have it. All of these people say that they have it. Well, who has it? Who has the truth? The reality is this, that, that if you're going to get to the truth, you've got to examine the facts. You've got to start at square one. You know, number one, why am I here? What is my point? Who created all of this? If you start to examine the facts, there's no way that you can come down to the realization that there was evolution. You will not be able to do it. There are so many questions that you would have to overcome to do it. Even today, people are doing that, and you could talk to Joe about it. It, it is the reality that it's essentially people closing their ears off to the truth because they don't want to accept that there's a God. And yet, we can do the same thing if we're not careful. What is truth? If you examine the truth, if you examine God's word, you'll find that it is inerrant. You won't find any problems with it. And any, any difficulties that you have with it can be overcome, maybe through prayer, through fasting, through seeking the Lord. He's the one that will show you the truth. Because Jesus said, if you hear my voice, you'll hear the truth. This is his word. This is his word. He wrote these words. All of this is inspired by God. Yes, he used man, but these are his words to us. It, it, truth is not relative, folks. We don't get to make up what is truth for each one of us. There is one single truth, and it is absolute. We either receive it or we don't, but we can't change it. Just as much as I don't, you know, it would be ridiculous for me to sit here and say, I, I absolutely do not believe in gravity. I am choosing to not believe in gravity. I don't think that that, I think there's another, I think we have strings on our feet that keep us on the ground. I don't think it's gravity. I don't think there's an outer space. You know, I could choose to, you know, do all kinds of crazy, stupid things like that and reject the reality of an absolute truth. But that doesn't change the truth. The truth is the truth. Here is the truth. 
What is truth? The truth is that we're sinners and that our sin separates us from God. But God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That God saw you stuck in your sin and he said, I will rescue you. I will save you. I will make a way for you. And he did that by sending his son. And it's by grace through faith that you're saved. That is truth. Simple. And yet so controversial. So difficult. You mean there's only, a, there's only one way? Oh, man, yeah. That's what the Bible says. I, listen, there was a guy named Josh McDowell. You may know who he is. He was a law student who set out to prove that the Bible was full of errors and that Jesus Christ was a fraud. Okay? He starts to write, a, write a, his paper, his thesis on this, and he says, okay, he's an attorney. He's going to school for it, so he's going to examine the facts. He's going to be very factual about the reality of, of this, this Bible and about Jesus. You know what happened? He became a believer. He became a believer. Why? Because when you examine the facts, it will lead you to the truth. You can't ignore the truth. Well, you can but the truth is the truth, and when the facts lead you to that place, you either just have to willfully reject it or you have to receive it. Josh McDowell received it, and he said, I, wanna, I want that in my life. I know that this is true. Pilate, like many people in the world, will reject Jesus in this moment, and they will just claim to be agnostic. What is truth? Who can know truth? Nobody can know truth. You know who knows truth? God knows truth. God designed truth. He created truth. And you know what? He gave us truth so that we can know truth. He wants you to know truth. He didn't set you on this earth. He didn't create you and design you to kind of just set you off on your way and say, I hope you figure it out. I hope you find your way. I hope you find a way. I hope the truth is relative for you. No, no. He said this is truth. Plain and simple. It's, it's, it's a very loving thing for the God of the universe to give us this. Very loving thing for him to give, it, give us this thing called the Bible because it is the guide of our life. And we can live our lives according to the word of God and it will never lead us astray. What is truth? Pilate, after examining the facts, does come to a truth. Jesus is innocent, 100%. He didn't do anything. Every accusation that was brought against me goes, dude, this guy's just crazy. He just needs some pills and he needs to be put in a place somewhere and just leave him alone. He's okay. Here's, here, now flip over to Luke chapter 23. Here's the rest of the story where John doesn't pick it up. Here's what happens when Pilate comes out after examining Jesus and he says, I find no fault in him. It says in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 5, but they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place where Pilate heard this, even to this place, speaking of Jerusalem there. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he, when he learned that he belonged to Herod's ju jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. Then Herod saw Jesus, was very glad, and he had long desired to see him because he had heard hi about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some, some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood vehemently accusing him 
And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before, before this, they had been at enmity with each other. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this, but here is trial number five. We just went through trial number four. Pilate finds Jesus not guilty. Pilate then hears that Jesus is a Galilean, and he says, great, I can get out of this. I don't have to deal with this. The Jews can put it all on Herod, and my job is secure. Praise the Lord. Oh, I don't know if you're there, but anyway, you know, he doesn't know what truth is. But he says, great, let me deliver you to Herod. Herod will take care of this. Now, Herod, Herod Antipas, he is the son of Herod the Great, the one who slayed all the babies in the land at two years old and younger because he heard that a king of the Jews was born that threatened his throne. Herod the Great was looking for Jesus when he was born. And there is no doubt that he had talked about this king of the Jews in his household. He was a threat to the throne. And therefore, his sons would have heard this name there's supposedly some king of the Jews here that has been born. Some magi came and told me that they saw a star, they, you know, whatever. They had some, some vision or some weird thing, and, and there's this king, so we're going to make sure that's not the case, and we're going to slay every baby. Herod Antipas grows up. He becomes the, um, the tetrarch of the whole northern kingdom of, of Jews. Galilee and all, that's where Nazareth is up in the Galilean region. And so Pilate sees a great opportunity to get rid of this issue and send him over to Herod. Now Herod also, by way of reminder, is the same Herod who killed Jesus' cousin, who was John the Baptist. Why did John the Baptist, was he slain? Because he spoke the truth. Because he said, hey dude, it's not cool for you to have your brother's wife. That ain't cool. So he ends up having his head being delivered up on a platter to his, to his wife, to his mistress, to, this, to his brother's wife. And so Herod had heard of Jesus. He knew he was a miracle man. He wanted to see this miracle man. And so he brings Jesus in, and he is excited. Oh, I can't wait to see this Jesus. Can't wait to see what kind of tricks he can do. Oh, man, this Jesus, I've heard a lot about him. So he starts to question Jesus. Jesus opens not his mouth. Jesus is 100% silent before Pilate. You can imagine, or before Herod. He, this, is, this, this has got to enrage Herod. Herod has got to be like, do you understand who you're standing before? I am Herod. Now you answer me. He won't answer him. Why? No point. There's no point. He doesn't want to hear truth. Jesus doesn't cast his pearl before swine. He is not going to give Herod uh, you know, the answers that he's looking for because it will do no good for him. So rather than say the wrong thing or, or, or even say the thing that will deaf, fall on deaf ears, he says nothing. Sometimes that's the right thing to do, folks. When you're standing in a situation where you're talking to somebody, you can see it's going to go nowhere, don't enter the conversation or stop the conversation. Don't def defame the Lord. Don't get engaged in a conversation that is, that like Paul said, don't get into foolish disputes. It's stupid. You'll end up just arguing over nothing, and no, it will accomplish nothing. Pilate says, or Herod, Herod then, you know, is upset with Jesus. His, 
his guards and soldiers begin to mock Jesus. They dress him up. Oh, so you're a king. Well, let's get him some king clothes. Let's, let's bring out this royal robe, probably purple, the ro- uh, color of uh, royalty and all. And he gets Jesus all adorned, and they start mocking him and messing around with him. And then he says, get this guy out of my sight. And he sends him back to Pilate dressed as a king. Now, you have to, if you're Pilate, you've got to just go, well played. Well played, Herod. I mean, you got me here. What am I going to do? He's the king of the Jews. I am the governor of Judea. Uh, you know, well played there. It says they became friends because of this. He became friends. It's, as I said last week, it's interesting how Jesus has the ability to move enemies closer together, how they will unite when it comes to him. And so now Pilate is back in the hot seat. He has to try and appease this bloody group this uh, bloodthirsty group here, and back, back in John chapter 18, verse 39, but you have a custom that I re- should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, here's what you need to understand. It was a custom of the day for the governor to show mercy to the Jews by releasing this one prisoner to them. And Pilate brings out the most vile prisoner that he can find. John calls him a robber. Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner. Mark and Luke call him a murderer and an insurrect. He was a bad man. He is legitimately guilty of every crime that he has done, and he deserves death here. Jesus is simply being good to people. He's healing people. He's ministering to people. He's accused of being an insurrect, which is not true. Pilate finds no fault with him. And so Pilate brings him out, and he says, okay, I'm going to release somebody. Who you want me to release? And um, the, 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 the religious leaders, they stir the crowd up. They get the crowd all mustered up, and they say, should I release the king of the Jews? He doesn't even ask him about Barabbas. He doesn't say, do you want to choose? Do you want Barabbas? Do you want Jesus? No. Should I release the king of the Jews to you? Should I release Jesus to you? That's the logical uh, conclusion, right? This guy is a notorious murderer, and he's a thief. And he deserves crucifixion. And so in Pilate's mind, he's thinking, let's just get on with it so we can go home. Let's let Jesus go. And to his surprise, he hears, not this man, but Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And and what was interesting is that Barabbas should have been the one to hang on the, in, in the middle of the cross there. There should have been three the day that Jesus was crucified. Barabbas should have been one of them. And he was both a murderer and a thief. Jesus hung between a murderer and a thief. Barabbas should have been the third in the center that committed both. And yet, the people say, no, no, we want Barabbas. We want him. God had a different plan. God Justice is going to be served in a very, very different way here. What I want you to do just for a second is I want you to hear the voices of the people saying, let Barabbas live. Let Barabbas live. Can you hear the crowd? Let Barabbas live. I mean, you just focus on that. Let Barabbas live. And and, and this whole crowd is erupting. Nobody is for Jesus. But I want you to focus on one particular voice in this moment. Let Barabbas live. It is a soft voice. 
It is a voice that um, is very loving, very comforting. It's a voice of peace. It is a voice that maybe you've heard yourself. It is the voice of Jesus. And he is crying out, let Barabbas live. Jesus came to take his place, folks. He came to trade places with Barabbas. Jesus wasn't hoping, you know, oh, I hope that they let me go. I hope that they choose me. He stood in the gap for Barabbas. He said, let him go. His name means son of Abba. Barabbas, Bar, son of, Abba, father, son of daddy, son of father. I will take the place of this son of the father. I will take his place. I will be crucified. But he's a murderer. He's a thief. So are you. So am I. And Jesus willingly traded places with you, with me. He wasn't hoping that he was going to be released in this moment. He was saying, I will pay the price. I will step in. I want Barabbas to live. How amazing. How amazing that Jesus in this moment, he's not at the mercy of man. He's not at the mercy of Pilate. He's not at the mercy of the people. He's standing in the will of God. And he says, that's what I want for my life. Some of us in this room are running from the will of God. Some of us don't want what the will of God wants for our lives because it might mean sacrifice. It might mean us giving up something that we're pursuing that we have desire for. But Jesus wants you to know that he so desires relationship with you that he would give up his own life for you that he would trade places with you, that he who knew no sin would become sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. I mean, he loves you that much that he would do that for you. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I don't know that he could love me. I don't know if he knows what I've done. He knows. I don't know if he knows the depth of my situation. No, he does. And what he wants you to know, you cannot outsin the love of God, folks. You cannot stain your life in such a way that the, the blood of Christ can't wash you clean. He can wash you white as snow. It doesn't matter what you've done. But here's the caveat. He, tr he traded places for you, but you have to willingly surrender your life so that he can pay the price for you. That's what it comes down to. He died for the, the world, 1 John 1 says. That he is our propitiation. He is the satisfaction of the wrath of God for you and I. And he died for not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And God is waiting for every person, every person on the planet Earth, to turn their heart to him and to surrender to him, to, to, to make him their one desire. You're his desire, folks. He came for you. Every one of us is Barabbas. We can read the story and we can say, yeah, he deserves to die. And yet we can find ourselves nowhere in there. But I'm telling you, you are Barabbas. I'm telling you that you are guilty and you deserve condemnation. But God loves you so much that he wants to give you life. And so this morning, if you're not in relationship, the worship team is going to come up. If you're not in relationship with him this morning, then you need to, to just Come forward. There's going to be guys up here to pray with you. You can get right with the Lord, and you can, uh, 
you know, they'll help you understand how to pray that prayer, how to surrender your life to him. If you're really genuine about that, you need to come forward today. Jesus stood before the people and he said, let Barabbas live. If you want Jesus this morning, you want to surrender your life, you come forward, you pray with one of these people this morning. Now, for believers here today, here's what I want to say to you. Some of us have been walking with God for so long that we forgot who we were. Some of us have been walking with God for so long that we kind of have developed this attitude of, you know, well, I'm pretty good. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't cuss, cheat, or steal, or date girls that do, something like that. That's a Baptist thing. I don't understand that. But well, I, I'm not doing a lot of bad things. I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to live my life for God and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, but yet you're looking down your nose at other people who are stuck in their sin. Let me ask you one question. What else, what, what, do, you, what do you expect from sinners? Righteousness? No, you expect sin. So why does it blow our minds when sinners sin? Why do we separate ourselves to such a degree that we can't relate because we're sinners too? And so what, what I want you to identify with this morning is the absolute truth of who we once were but who Jesus made us today, right? That we don't forget about what he's done for us because it's in that testimony that we go back out into the world and we see somebody who is just stuck and we, and we come to them and say, listen, God can rescue you, and let me tell you how he did it in my life. You know, if we start walking on water or elevating ourselves to the, the degree that we feel like we're doing pretty good and we're not, you know, really that bad, uh, we, we won't see those people the way that we should see them. We won't, we won't go to them the way that we should go to them. We will stand at a distance, and we will observe and look down our noses at them. And so I want to encourage this body this morning. If you're a Christian... Listen, God saved you for a purpose. Like he saved you to go into the world and tell people about your story. Tell them what he's done for you. Now, according to statistics here, everyone in this place will, will, will be lucky if you share the, your, your story with one person this year. This year. Shouldn't we as believers in Christ, like as we walk by somebody stuck, say something? Oh, I don't want to get in their business. Really? You'd rather them go to hell. That's the reality. I'm not trying to, like, force you to do something. I'm trying to tell you that that is the reality. If we are not sharing our faith, if we're not going out into community and telling people about Jesus, then listen, we are missing the mark. We are not doing what he's called us to do. You know, he has called us to be his voice in the wilderness, just like John the Baptist was, and he has called us to stand up in this wickedness, in the darkness. And he's calling us to, to, rest, to tell people that they can be rescued from their situation. So I want to encourage you, this week, some, God to put somebody in your life, man. Somebody is in your life that you need to share the truth with. And you've been kind of him and hawing around about it, but God wants you to just, he'll give you the words. You don't have to be fearful. But he wants you to step up, and he wants you to say something. He told you to already. He commanded it. Go into all the world and make disciples. How many disciples are you making? How many are you making today? I, you don't have to tell me, but are you? If you're not, don't condemn yourself. Just go do it. Simple as that. I am charging you by the power of Jesus Christ today to go and do what he told you to do and go tell people about him. Listen, it is your one single mission. There is no other 
important thing in your life than to do that one thing, to tell somebody about Jesus, and he's going to put somebody in your life this week. So will you do it? Listen, this morning, I want to just pray a prayer that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and that we would be his witnesses. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning, and God, we thank you for your word and for Jesus, that he traded places with me, with every person that believes in this room, and for those that don't, he wants to trade places with you. And we're asking, God, that you move mightily in this place today, Lord. We're asking that your Holy Spirit stir our hearts, whether we are in Christ or on the verge of coming to Christ, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would just move us. And we're asking you to, Lord, awaken your church. Awaken the body of Christ to be like those who were in the book of Acts, Lord, that we're going into all the world, and we are so in, in love with you, God, that we can't help but share it. Lord, would you move us out of this place of stagnancy this morning? Would you move us into a place of people that are going on mission for your purpose? Not that we might be elevated, but that you might be elevated. It's all for your glory, Lord. It's all about you. You're the one that woos people. You put people in our path for a purpose, Lord. And it's not for us to talk about the weather. Would you help us, God, to be witnesses this week? And I'm praying right now by the, that your spirit just come upon every person in this place, Lord. I'm asking you to give us boldness, give us the words to speak, and help us to minister, Lord, to those that you put into our life this week. Lord, we, just, we, we know that you traded places for us and let us let other people in on the secret, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you this morning. And we ask you to just move in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.